It is great to be with you all again today. I'm very excited about today's message um, in our But God series. This whole series has been about um, man telling stories all through history where it feels like all is lost and God steps in in a powerful way. I'm excited about this one in particular because we're going to change the perspective just a bit. Um, But before we jump into that, I'd love to pray with you and for you. God, I love you. I thank you so much for your grace and mercy. I pray that you would be with us today. Let me do nothing more than make you ever more famous and known. I pray that you would move, God, through the technology um, in the different different living rooms, maybe somebody streaming this online in their car, wherever they're at. God, I just pray by your grace that you would make that a holy place. You would move in powerful ways, prepare their heart, make our hearts receptive, um, open our minds to be willing to learn and grow. We just want to come before you with a hearty humility. In your name, amen. Uh, So the main phrase that we've kind of been using through this whole series is this. God loves to show off his love for his people. He really does. And when you go through the different stories in the Bible, you see story after story after story all the way through. We've been sharing these with you in our series where God steps in in profound ways and does amazing things. Um, In week number one, we talked about what it means to wait well. Uh, Week number two, we talked about the importance of a private life, how it's those things that are built in us when nobody is looking that gives us often the strength and capacity to do well when we do face those hard situations. The third week, we talked about, man, what do you do when the plan that you thought God wanted you to do or work on, what if it doesn't play out that way? How do you respond? How do you engage there? Then last week, we talked about how God engages in situations where it seems like everything is already lost and over. Now this week, we want to do something just a little bit different. And here's the idea. Let's change the but God narrative today, okay? So All the way through up until this point, most of the situations we've been sharing have been a time when something externally hard has come and God's people have to figure out how to survive in it and God steps in and rescues them from some external difficulty. But today, uh, it's this. We're going to go to the next one here. What if you are the cause of brokenness and pain? What if you are the cause of brokenness and pain? Um, How does God engage when you are the one that's guilty? You're the one that is making things different. Can there be, in fact, the real question is this, can there be a but God moment for the guilty, for the people that have done the wrong thing? You are the one that has brought the sinful, hard situation into this world. Can there be a but God moment for the guilty? Maybe you are the one, even in this, you know, quarantine shutdown time, Maybe you're the one who has given in to lust and you've been looking up stuff online that you know you shouldn't. In fact, right now, I believe that somebody watching this, um, you know the Holy Spirit, even using the pastor, speaking to you directly as I talk through these. You're the one that's been looking stuff up online and you know you shouldn't have. You're the guilty party. Maybe you are the one that has acquired mountains of debt Um, Man, I know people don't like it when the pastor even says the word money, but the truth is the New Testament is full of Jesus using metaphors um, and stories and teachings all about money and how we spend the resources that God has given us. Maybe you're the person that's, man, you've acquired mountains of debt and it's all been over sheer materialism. You're the guilty party. 
Maybe for you, you are the person, um, you carry incredible anger or jealousy or bitterness in your heart towards somebody that has done something wrong to you or, or maybe it's somebody that you're just jealous of and you've done something wrong to them, the way you treat them, the way you engage with them, you just hold bitterness towards them. You are the one who is guilty holding the bitterness that's in you. You're aware of the sin in you. And maybe you're just sitting here today, man, and before you turned on this sermon, um, you hit play on it or joined us on the live stream before you jumped into it, maybe right before this thing, you just finished screaming at your kids and beating your dog. Who knows, right? Like maybe you're the guilty party. Whatever it is, I want to speak to the people who carry the weight of guilt. What is the but God moment when you are the one that is guilty? I want to go a little bit broader real quick, kind of a big picture perspective. I want to say this. Um, the Bible is all about this cosmic war over good and evil. It is. The whole Bible is this greater story of this cosmic war that's between good and evil. The problem is we don't understand where the line is drawn. When the line between what is truly good and truly evil was drawn, all of us were on the wrong side of it. And, and what I mean by that is, with this cosmic war between good and evil, we have a tendency to think in our own minds that my politics are right and their politics are wrong. We are the good, they are the evil. We tend to think that our nation is the truly just and good one and they're the one that's evil. We tend to think that my people group is good and theirs is evil, that my education makes me good and people with a different kind of education, they're the evil ones. We tend to draw the line on earth between humans. But the reality is, in this cosmic story between good and evil, what is actually evil is in every one of us. It's in every one of us. Listen to the words that are found in Scripture. I love this, man. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. The implication is that we are the ones that are in sin and Jesus had to die for us. We're on the wrong side of this morally good and evil. We're on the wrong side of it and God had to come rescue us. A word about this. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament calls himself the chief of sinners. A word about this. Jesus even says, I mean, imagine it in your mind as Jesus is hanging on the cross. He has been beat literally to the ver on the verge of death. He's hanging there bleeding out. He looks out before he dies and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus isn't primarily working to rescue you from evil people. I want to pause on that. Jesus isn't primarily working to rescue you from evil people or even evil nations, but rescue you and them from the evil that has poisoned all of us. Jesus isn't, it's not just you, it's in all of us. We all need rescued, every one of us, not only from the sin in the world, but the sin in each one of us. While we were still yet sinners, Jesus died for us. What if you are the guilty person? What if you were the guilty person? Um, I just want you right now, um, even out loud, um, I just want you to say this. I want you to say this. I need rescued. That posture of humility is so important. Just say it, say it out loud. I mean, even in the room, if you're sitting with people, don't worry about it. If they're sitting next to you, don't worry about it. If you feel awkward, man, just transparency before God. If you're driving in the car and listening to the podcast, I just want you to say it out loud. I need rescued. I want to go back in time and I want to remember the story of Joseph. For many of you, um, you have read the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. 
You grew up, heard about it in Sunday school. I want to do just a quick overview of that story real fast. I'm going to miss a lot of the major pieces. For those that are the Bible scholars, you'll see me quickly just treetop bounce through this story really fast. So Joseph is a favored younger brother. His story is told um, in the Old Testament. And he was given, he was a favored younger brother out of all the children. His dad liked him the best, and he gave him this coat with a whole bunch of colors. And the coat, basically, um, there's a, a lot of metaphor in this, but to the brothers, it was basically just like a symbol that was worn every day that said, Dad likes me more, Dad likes me more, Dad likes me more. And then on top of it, um, he begins to have dreams, and in these dreams, uh, the brothers are bowing down to him. And then, of course, he wakes up and he tells his brothers these dreams. And the brothers basically hear, by the time it gets in their hearts and minds, they hear, uh, man, this, maybe God likes him more, God likes him more, God likes him more. And maybe they just think my brother is nuts. Maybe they think he's selfish. Maybe who knows all the things that are going through his mind. But we do know this, for sure, jealousy, for sure, anger, for sure, a desire for revenge begins to grow in these brothers' hearts as their little brother walks around with the coat that to them says, Dad likes me more, Dad likes me more, Dad likes me more. So they devise this plan, and what they end up doing is uh, the plan doesn't quite go the way they originally put it together. They end up selling him into slavery and, and telling their dad that he had died. And so Joseph then, I mean, his life goes on this really horrible journey for a while. He ends up in Egypt, and as a slave in Egypt, he goes through a number of really difficult situations and ultimately ends up in prison himself. I mean, I can only imagine what was going through Joseph's mind as he's sitting in prison. He's probably wondering, like, man, okay, maybe I wasn't perfect, but how in the world does this compare, this wrong that's happened to me compared to, even if I did any wrong, wrong to them, right? Like, it doesn't even seem fair. Who knows all that's going through his mind? But we do know this. He stays faithful to God through all of it, through absolutely all of it. He stays faithful to God. Even when none of it was fair, faithfulness remained. Eventually, the hand of favor of God rests on him, and through some really miraculous circumstances, he climbs all the way up to one of the most powerful roles in Egypt. And in this, a huge famine covers, I mean, beyond Egypt, the whole land, even where his family had come from. This huge famine takes over everything. And then ultimately, the very brothers that treated him so poorly, that were full of jealousy, full of anger, and the desired revenge ended up being brought to his doorstep, right? Literally at his doorstep, not able to survive because of starvation. They find themselves at the feet of the person they so poorly treated. I want to go to Genesis 50, 20 through 21. I just want to read these two verses as we're brought to this moment and how he responds. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. A couple of things I want to draw from this text. Two things in particular. The first one is this. This isn't only the story of Joseph. It's not only the story of Joseph. And what happens for most of us, especially in Sunday school, is we just focus on this like prototype Christ thing, you know, the Joseph individual, but it's not just his story. It isn't only the story of Joseph. It's the story of the failed family of God, the chosen people who gave in to the evil that was in their hearts. That's the other story. 
The other thing that's important to pull out of this is Joseph, the Christ figure, stands before the guilty working to replace jealousy, anger, and revenge, right? Think of all the things that were done to Joseph. And here these people stand needing his help. And instead he replaces jealousy, anger, and revenge. What does he bring to them? He replaces it with charitable love. In this story, you and I are not Joseph. In this story, for us, I mean, way too often, we want to think that we're the innocent Joseph that was just mistreated. No, in this story, you and I are the brothers. We're the called people of God, the chosen people of God, the ones that are supposed to be light to the world that let jealousy and fear and anger and all these sinful things pierce our heart and it has done more than just destroy our witness it has also poisoned our families it has interrupted our relationship between god and us we are the guilty party what does this mean for us what does this mean for us that's a good question i think one of the greatest lies of the enemy, and I think one of the most important first miracles of God, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is that you're innocent, it's not your fault, you're totally innocent. Everything bad is external, bad environment, bad upbringing, bad world, sin in the world, all the things that you've done, it's not your fault. That's one of the most powerful lies of the enemy, to try to maintain this idea that I carry no guilt for the sin that is in me and the wrong things that I've done. And one of the greatest first miracles of God is him letting us see where we really are, that we have been on the wrong side of this cosmic divide of what is morally good and moral evil. We are the ones that have been on the wrong side of it. And I think it is a gift of God for us to see our actual state because we can't begin to heal till we admit that we are sick too. We can't begin to heal until we admit that we are sick too. When I was uh, about to get married to my wife, Leslie, man, this is, it's crazy how fast time goes by. Um, now that we've grown a family and we have children and our kids are getting older, and um, I remember those days leading up to the wedding. And I remember thinking in my heart, uh, so before I was a pastor, Honestly, before I was a pastor, I, uh, I had sin. I mean, definitely lived in sin in numerous ways. I wasn't always a pastor. And when I wasn't a pastor, I wasn't a pastor very good. Um, I was good at not being a pastor. And, uh, and in that, man, I did a lot of stupid things. I don't need to go into all of them right now, but made a lot of poor decisions. Um, I'll often talk about that private and counseling with people. But I did a lot of stupid things, man, and I bore the guilt in my heart over that. And before I got married, I decided it might be wise for me to sit down with my wife-to-be and be totally transparent and honest with her. Because I didn't want her to get five years down the road. I actually heard a story um, about somebody that was married for about uh, 10 years. And then she discovered something that her husband had done all those years ago. And it nearly destroyed their marriage. So I thought it is a loving thing to do for my wife to be totally honest about what she's getting. And so I actually sat down and I kind of like made a list of all the wrong things that I had done so I wouldn't surprise her. I didn't want her to be surprised. I didn't want her to all of a sudden discover that I had done something years ago that she would have chosen not to marry me if she would have known. I wanted her to know everything. And I remember the night, I remember it really well. She was actually house-sitting for a, a, a lady, a family, the Fratskys actually are their name. They were awesome sponsors in our youth department when we were kids. And uh, I ended up meeting her uh, over at that house and I sat down and I was like, I just want to be honest with you. You need to know what you're saying I do too. 
And so I started saying out loud, like the dumb things that I had done in life, the sinful actions that I had made. So she wouldn't be surprised, right? I didn't want her to be surprised years later. I wanted her to have the option to say no to me. And so as I started saying them, I realized that I had never verbally confessed all of these dumb things that I had done, the sins that I had committed. I never like verbally said it out loud. And as I started saying it, all of a sudden I became really emotional that night. And as I was crying, it dawned on me, man, when I really acknowledge the actual state of my heart, I am a sinner. And uh, I'm happy to say that she didn't storm out, that she still chose me. Uh, but man, it was a very powerful moment for me to admit that. And so I think this is really important. When God makes you aware of your sin, he will also make you aware of his grace. When God makes you aware of your sin, he will also make you aware of his grace. And, and what happens, even in our modern world, is religion wants to control you by only making you aware of your sin. So it's like they stop the story. And there are some churches, there are some ministries, there are some people that claim to be of God, but all they do is spend all their time making you aware of your sin. And it leaves you in this broken state. But the real message of God is when he makes you aware of your sin, right along with it, he will also make you aware of his grace. They go together. So where is Jesus in this? Where is Jesus in all of this? Two quick statements. One, he is hanging on the cross, bearing the weight of the sin that is even in you, saying, Father, forgive them. He hears your confession and he forgives you. Where else is Jesus? Jesus is here. He is reaching out his hand just like he did to his followers when he walked this planet. He is reaching out his hand and he's saying, follow me. Father, forgive them and follow me. So what if you are the one? What if you are the one and it's your sin, it's your actions that have caused pain and difficulty? The but God moment here is but Jesus from the cross says, Father, forgive them. And the but God moment here is Jesus reaching his hands across that cosmic divide of what is truly morally good and truly morally sinful, that brokenness. He reaches his hand across it and he says, let me show you the way. Follow me. I got a couple of questions I want to ask and these are going to be um, in the chat, whichever means you're consuming this. Um, you can even download the sermon at EncounterTrinity.com, the media tab. Um, we'll have sermons, sermon notes, everything there too. Um, but I have two questions. They're going to post these in the chat rooms. Uh, but I have two questions I want to ask. The first one is just this. Have you ever practiced biblical confession with a spiritual leader? I mean, like, have you ever actually practiced biblical confession? Now, in your group, in your room with your family, I'm not saying you need to use that moment as a confession moment. Um, maybe there is a spiritual leader in your home if you're a kid. Maybe it's a parent you need to talk to where you can confess the things. I just want you to respond with, have you ever had a time of confession where you've been honest about your real state, your real sin, and confessed it to a spiritual leader, a healthy spiritual leader? And I just want you to share in your group, what was that like? Because uh, if you really did meet with a good spiritual leader, absolutely he will acknowledge that sin, but absolutely he should with that offer the grace of God. Go and sin no more. Come and follow me. 
And what I have found is when biblical confession is done right, it is like a mountain of weight is lifted from your shoulders. And maybe for some of you, one of the most important things that you could do is reach out to your pastor, um, reach out to a spiritually or small group leader or D group leader and say, I want to get together, meet for coffee. If you can't meet for coffee because you're still in shutdown in whatever county you're in, uh, maybe call and do a Zoom call and you just need to actually confess and bear the actual state of your heart before the Lord and before a spiritual leader and be there ready to receive the grace and love of Jesus Christ. The second question I, I'm going to have, and they'll also be in the chat too, is, to whom do you need to offer forgiveness? Because that prototype Christ figure and then even Jesus himself, we are supposed to follow him and do as he did. And man, there are times where what has been given to us is jealousy, it is anger, it is bitterness, it is hatred, and we have the opportunity to respond with something. And like Joseph, man, and then ultimately Jesus is the one who gets it perfectly right. We respond with charitable love. Whom do you need to offer charitable love to? You see, I believe that the but God moments are really powerful and really important. And but God wants to step in whenever these external things, you know, sickness has come to you. God wants to step in and show off his love. When hardship financially comes to you, God wants to step in and show off his love. When families or relationships fall apart, God wants, he desires to step in and show off his love. But God even wants to step in and show off his love when you are the one that is guilty. I believe the best is yet to come for his believers. And I believe to those who have a humble heart, acknowledge their real state, and come before the Lord, there is much more than just forgiveness. There is glorious redemption that is tied in with that forgiveness. The best life is the life that knows how lost they were and the life that celebrates how found they've become by the God of the universe who longs to show off his love for those that he loves. If you do not know Jesus, I want to encourage you, man, reach out right now the grace and mercy, forgiveness. Maybe you've been in the church, but you've never actually confessed. I want you right now to message the church, to send an email to the church. If you're on the streaming site, you can click on the response thing. If you're on Facebook, you can click on a direct message. Whatever medium you're using to consume this, I want you right now, if you need to have a time of confession, share your heart or make a decision for Jesus, you respond right now and engage. Don't let this sit in your heart. Don't let the enemy root this in and go, oh, you don't need to do it. It's not a big deal. Take advantage of what God is doing in your heart right now. Step forward and embrace the freedom of being found, of being guilty, and being forgiven. The other thing I would encourage you to do is if this message spoke to your heart, I ask that you would have the courage to even share it with a friend. Share it on Facebook, share it on social media. Um, whatever it is, email it to a friend, the link. I would love it if we would be able to share the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ with even more people. You are loved. The best is yet to come. I believe in you. But even more than that, Christ believes in you.